take a girl and a guy and they fall madly in love and form a family. Sprinkle in some counseling degrees and a doctorate, a dream of transforming relationships as we know it. And 20 years later, we give you power couple Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. And this is their podcast, Couples Synergy. Welcome back to another episode of Couples Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean. I'm Dr. Ray. And I'm Jean, and this is our podcast about love, marriage, and relationships. Check us out online on our Facebook page, Couple Synergy, or our website, couplesynergy.com. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast or send us any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear more about. And now on to Couple Synergy, an in-depth look at love, marriage, and relationships, where we bring you our experiences working with thousands of couples for nearly 20 years. Everyone says you need to work on a relationship, but nobody teaches us how. So we've created this podcast to teach people what they can do to create the relationship they've always dreamed of with the partner they fell in love with. You know, Gene, I'm really kind of wary about um, this podcast today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was a pretty uh, serious and deep mm-hmm. topic. Yep. You know, the topic of death and how it affects our relationships. And, uh, you know, it kind of comes on the heels of Halloween on Thursday mm-hmm. coming up. And All Saints Day and All Souls Day. And All Saints Day and All Souls Day. And so I, I think it's pretty fitting that we try to tackle this topic. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, we're not experts in what happens after you die. But I think we've had enough experience in working with you know, clients who have gone through grief and loss and our own personal experiences mm-hmm. that... I think it's pretty important for us to talk about. The Thursday episode is actually us interviewing my mom about my dad passing almost 20 years ago. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I am kind of hesitant about talking about a personal experience that I've had. This is the first time I've, I've talked about it in, in public. Mm-hmm. But in 1992... I almost died. And I had an experience that I don't really like to talk about. How come? Because because a lot of people may not believe me. Mm-hmm. And it is uh it was a very scary experience that I went through. But it is pretty fitting. I I I'd listened to a podcast um just this past week, and it was about uh, near-death experiences. And it kind of triggered a lot of memories for me. Uh, So I'm kind of alluding to the fact that, yes, I I did go through a near-death experience. So in in 1992, I was about 19 years old. And I was in college. And... I wasn't really living a very healthy lifestyle at all. You know, I was drinking a lot. I was, you know, smoking pot. I was smoking cigarettes. And, you know, the, to complicate things, I have asthma. I've had asthma my entire life. Yeah. And I, I was just being pretty reckless. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is my sophomore year in college and by this time I would like 
lost my scholarship because I was on academic probation. Um, and, and I was just really heading down a very, very dark path, right? Just self-destructive all the way. And my roommate at the time, he lived in a farm uh, in Nevada, Iowa. And it was a uh, pig farm. And this is the spring of 1992. And so for one of the breaks, one of the holiday breaks or something, we headed to his farm um, to just to celebrate with his parents. And um, it was me, another one of our friends, and uh, my roommate. And we went to the farm and we stayed over. Um, and the first night was was fairly innocuous. You know, we were just kind of partying and going into town and he's showing us around and that sort of thing. And, you know, at this time I was, I was only on one particular inhaler medication for my asthma. And, you know, I, I use it pretty frequently. Um, I was also, is that the emergency one when you only use it when you're actually having, right. And so I was using this like, just kind of like daily medication, really. And I mean, I didn't think anything of it. You know, you take the inhaler and and the symptoms went away. Okay. But on the second night that we were there, um, he brought us to go see the uh, pig barn. And we went into the pig barn and he was showing us, you know, the you know, just kind of whole process of, of pig farming. And there was a lot of hay and a lot of dust and, and oddly enough, uh, animal dander is a, a trigger for me for my asthma right. <laughs> symptoms. And so I started to have symptoms, you know, as he's showing us around. And um, I excused myself uh, because it, it started to get, a little bit worse than, than I, I was used to. Um, he continued to, you know, take our other friend around and showing him. Um, I stepped outside of the barn and I started to use the, the inhaler that I had, but the symptoms, they didn't go away. They actually started to get worse. What does it feel like? feels like your, your chest is just on fire and it's closing in. It's like imploding. Mm-hmm. So you're just grasping for for breath. And I, I must have known that, you know, it was it was different than what I had experienced before because I started to head towards the house. And I, I'm not sure why I did that, but I just was trying to get away from the barn and trying to go someplace else um, in, in case something went wrong, right? And... By the time I had reached the farmhouse, I was uh, crawling. Wow. I, I could not get a breath. I was crawling up the stairs, you know, and as I entered the house, my roommate's mother saw me, and she, the look on her face, just this terror, like oh. what is what is happening? What's going on? Yeah, I couldn't imagine that. I mean... Dean's 21, right? Our son. And for him to have a friend over, that is 
you know, in that much trouble, that's, that's really terrifying. I'd be terrified. Well, especially since, you know, you saw them leave and they were fine. And then all of a sudden one of them starts crawling in the door. Yeah. And, you know, she had had enough sense to call 911. However, in farmland communities, 911, it takes, it takes a while for paramedics to get out to, you know, the farm. Probably about 20 minutes before the ambulance can get out there. And so they have kind of like this relay system where, you know, they, they contact the closest farmers so that those farmers can be like first responders, right? And so all of these, these farmers from the nearby farm started to come over. My thought was I just need to hang in there until the paramedics get there. And so I just gripped the table and I stared at a dot on the wall and I just fought for like every breath that I could get. And I just, I didn't see anything. I didn't, I heard a lot of people and commotion and people coming in and trying to talk to me. And I just did not talk. I didn't say anything because I had to focus. I had to concentrate on just breathing. Once the paramedics, and they couldn't do anything And they for couldn't you. do anything. They could not do anything at all. I mean, this is, how often does this happen, you know, out in the, the farming community there? Someone has an asthma attack and they don't really know what to do. So by the time the, the paramedics got there, um, I could hear them behind me. And I, I remember them wanting to start an IV. I did not want to move my arms. They were just glued to the table. So they, they started an IV while I was just gripping the table. They got me into the, um, you know, the stretcher that I had. And they started taking me out of the farmhouse. And they had me on oxygen. As I'm being carried out of the house, you see this huge group of people all in the front yard wow. like the the whole farming community the surrounding farming community came and they were just out there in the front yard like they didn't know what to do but they're there and they get me into the ambulance and i'm still fighting for breath you know but i feel better that the paramedics are there and that we're heading towards the hospital but keep in mind, this is, again, another 20-minute drive, you know, to the hospital. And so as we start driving, you know, it is, it's dark outside of the windows, you know, so it's just pitch black, and I'm just staring out the windows, and I'm just really trying to focus and concentrate really hard. The, the pain in my chest was so great, it hurt so much to breathe, and I was just, I was struggling, and, you know, they... They were trying to give me medications to try to, you know, stop the symptoms. And every time that they would give a medication, it wouldn't do anything. And so the symptoms started getting worse and the pain started getting worse. And my fight for breath was even more difficult. And I started to feel like the light in the ambulance started to get brighter. Hmm. It just like really, really bright. And I started to feel a floating feeling. 
like I was starting to rise above, you know, the, the stretcher that I was on. What did you think? I didn't think too much of that at that point. But the pain in my chest would get less as I would float, you know, higher. And it was kind of like this, um, you know, this little floating feeling, and then you come back down into, you know, onto the stretcher, and it's like a lightheaded type of feeling, right? But as you would get lightheaded, the pain would get less, and it, it would feel more, more of a, a feeling of freedom. And at one point, I, I was kind of floating to the like above, like to the top of the the ambulance. And like, did you have like a, a body? Y- yeah. So you had your body and then another body. Correct. Right. And I can hear. Like if you're up at the top of the ceiling of the ambulance and you can hear below you and I can hear the paramedics, you know, talking and they're talking to the hospital and they were saying that, you know, they've given this medication, they've given this medication, it's not working, nothing is working, you know, and they, they were asking the emergency room what they should do. And I remember the emergency room on the radio coming back and saying, it's your call. And during this time, I'm starting to have some doubts. I'm starting to have some thoughts like, I hope this is not what's happening. So you didn't believe it? I I didn't want to Mm -hmm. believe it, you know, but those thoughts started to come through my head. Like, is this the beginning of the end. And whenever I would have that thought, I would kind of shake my, you know, like head inside my, inside my head, just shake and no, no, no. And and then I would come back down and I would feel the pain again. The pain would just be intense. But then I would start to float again. What would you think was the time frame? Was this going on for a long time? It seemed like it went on for a very long time. But the drive to, from the farm to the hospital is about 20 minutes. Okay. So it, it had to be going on for, you know, at least that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this, this battling back and forth in my mind of what is happening or what I'm, I'm going to believe is happening would would go on several times. I go up, battle it, come back down. And then I, I started to bargain. I started to bargain in my head like, you know, don't you know, don't let me die here. I don't want to die here. Who did you think you were talking to? I was talking to something bigger and greater than myself. And, you know, up until this, this time I had been raised Catholic and I was, you know, taught that there is a God and, and, you know, whether I was talking to that idea of God or not, I started to bargain. I started to bargain for my life 
that I wanted another chance. I wanted the ability to kind of right all my wrongs. And at this time, I started to see a figure outside of the window. Um, I was facing the back of the ambulance, and I started to see a, a figure, just kind of an upper torso of a person standing you know, outside of that window. Obviously, it's, it's not happening because we were driving. You're in a moving... We're a moving vehicle, vehicle right? But it was, it was very strange because the face of this torso started to change rapidly, like lightning speed rapidly. And I didn't recognize any faces, but I knew somehow, I knew that each face was every person that I have ever interacted with in my entire life. Wow. In those split seconds of, you know, with these faces changing, that they were every single person I'd ever interacted with. And, and I'm not just talking about, you know, people that I had really close, committed relationships with. I'm talking about every single interaction I've ever had with any human like being. someone walking in the mall. Like someone, I bump into the hallway or something. You know, strangers. But they were all, in some way, significant in that moment to me and my life. What, what was your, what's your thought about that? Like, what's the significance? Just that they had, they had been in my life for a reason. Mm. And now I may not know what all of the reasons were, but each of those people had crossed my path at some point and interacted with me. And because of that, I had either gain something or learn something it, it was significant mm -hmm. and I again closed my eyes because I didn't want to see this figure and I didn't want to believe it and I didn't want to think that this is what was happening and I started to float again and the floating was such a release of pain and worry so physical pain and emotional. Right. And it was kind of just this wonderful release and, and euphoria that you felt. And it, I had a choice. There was, there was a choice that was actually, I, I felt, that was in front of me. And that was either that I just continued to go with that wonderful feeling or, or choose to come back. And I decided that I wanted to have another chance. I wanted to right all my wrongs. I wanted to, you know, right all of the transgressions I had made in every relationship that I had had. So you could have chosen to be at peace and pain-free mm -hmm. or you would have to go through the pain in order to live again. Right. Mm. Was it a hard choice? At that time, I don't think it was a hard choice. I, I didn't, I wasn't ready. Mm -hmm. And in making that choice, I'm glad I did because I know everything that I've, 
I've done in my life since then has been, you know, colored by that experience. And when I made the choice, it wasn't like a, a verbal choice, right? But I knew that I had cho- chosen that and I felt myself. I had heard right at that point, the paramedics say to the ER, they're going to try this one medication. This one medication is, um, at the time it was called Theodore. It was a medication that I had been on when I was nine and I had, hadn't been on it since. And once they, they tried the medication and I had had that conscious choice that, that I made to, to stay, I felt myself slam back down. And I felt all the pain, just all of its intensity. But that's when my breathing started to get better. Mm. And so much so that by the time we got to the ER and I was rolled into the ER, I was able to talk again. And I was able to talk with the physicians and let them know what was happening and how I was feeling. Um, My symptoms were stabilizing. But I, I had found out later how close to cardiac arrest I had gotten. I, I actually had to be on medication for my heart for you know, a good couple of weeks afterwards because my cardiac enzymes were just there through the roof. For a 19-year-old to have that much trauma that goes on in, in the heart, is, it's not common. Mm. I, I remember also telling the ER physician you know, that had kind of stabilized me and everything about my experience. And I remember him listening really intently about it. And, you know, this, this story and what my experience has been, I, for many years, I have kind of pushed it away. And as I said, it has colored all of my experiences, especially my relationships with people. Because I, I feel like this experience has given me insight into something that a lot of people don't have. And it is both scary and it is also enlightening in many, many times and many points in my life. I, I wanted to talk about this story because, you know, with the work that we do in helping people with relationships, I, I learned in that, in that experience that every single relationship that I have ever had and every relationship that I would have ever since is going to have purpose and meaning in my life. And that I'm supposed to learn something from each person I come in contact with. Whether the relationship brings about pain or whether it brings about worry, frustration, sadness, it's supposed to teach me something about myself and it's supposed to teach me something about what my purpose and meaning is in this, in this life. You know, Tolstoy, he wrote a book called The Death of Ivan Illich. And I remember reading it in high school. And, you know, in that book, he is a 45-year-old lawyer or judge. I'm not sure which one. But he 
is dying of a terminal illness. And he goes through all of these thoughts in his head about how he has lived his life, his regrets, right? And the things that he put his energy towards did not bring about any sense of purpose and meaning for him. And all of his family and friends and people that he has he had had in his life, because he was so bitter and lived a life of misery, really, he didn't have any close relationships with them. And they didn't really care about him dying unless they were going to inherit any of his valuables and money. And the only person that really cared about him was, you know, a servant that stood by him and sat by his deathbed and cared for him and showed him a lot of compassion. I think that that's a really important thing that we don't really consider enough of. Yeah. You know, in in the book I'm reading, it talks about uh, East of Eden by John Steinbeck. He said, it says in there that hopefully no one will have pleasure about your death. Like that you were so horrible that people are glad you died. You know? Yeah. It's a really interesting kind of thought that, you know, everything that has a beginning has an end. Every human being has a beginning and every relationship has a beginning and then they all have ends and it isn't really about those two really significant points it's about the stuff in between right i know that i'm really grateful that we live a life that we get to talk with people on a soul level all the time and it's it's really it's such a satisfying way to live. I don't really enjoy talking to people about more mundane things, you know? Well, in the end, the only thing that we have are our relationships with people, mm-hmm. our connections with people. I mean, it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter what things you have or your status. We all are going to be there at one point. And I, for one, don't want to lay in my deathbed and regret like Ivan did, you know? Yeah. Regret how I lived and regret why I did the things that I did. Before you had that experience, weren't you studying to become a doctor? I was studying to... Medical doctor. I, I was, yeah, I was um, in pre-med. And that was my path that I was heading on and since that experience obviously I went I switched I decided not to go into medical school and I pursued a you know career in psychology which is the study of the psyche did you know that before that experience that you would that you wanted to do more psychology I didn't I knew that I connected with people at a very different level you know it wasn't just kind of a cognitive connection. It was really an emotional connection. And I mean, sometimes it was emotionally volatile, but my connections were still very emotional. And I, and I think after that experience, I I still struggled for a while. You know, I still struggled on my path. 
Um, it was kind of like, you know, two steps forward, one step back, sometimes one step forward, two steps back. But, you know, I was being almost pushed and called to walk my path and, and to go in, in a particular direction. So I know your parents had a very strong influence on you wanting them wanting you to be a doctor, medicine doctor. For many, many years, mm -hmm. you know, that's something that they wanted me to do. And they continue to try to influence me to do that, to get to stray and to, you know, off my path and, and follow that path of, of, you know, going into medicine. But it, it was, it was such a calling for me. And it started to really solidify that when, you know, I started to work in the, in the hospitals and connect with patients and you know, really connect with them at a soul level. And I felt like I was really doing what I was called to do. That's awesome. I, I don't think most people get that type of clarity about what they're, how they're living their life or, you know, what their passion really is in order to become what they need to become or want to become. I think there's nothing like contemplating death in order to contemplate being alive. You know, it's a, it's, it is the question that we don't really contemplate, right? We, we don't think about it because I, I think that if we thought about it on a daily basis, it, it can be pretty scary. I remember, um, I had a client once she came in, she wanted to do hypnosis to quit smoking, you know? And I said, well, why do you want to quit smoking? And she said, well, I have, I have cancer. And I said, well, do you want to work on the cancer? Or do you want to work on the smoking? You know? Yeah. And I got to work with her for five years. And for five years, she had to contemplate. Her own death. Her own death, yep. And in the beginning, when I started working with her, she had bladder cancer. And so I asked her, you know, so what? what's pissing you off? You know, because wherever the cancer is in your body has a significance to an emotion and the bladder has to do with being angry, right? Being pissed off. And at first she said, well, I'm not, I'm not mad at anything. And then she started to really uncover what she was really mad about. And I remember going to her house, maybe it was one or two days before she died. She was already in hospice. And I was sitting there talking to her, to her and you could see she was crossing over she was half crossed over and she would come back, you know, and she said at one point she just opened her eyes and she looked at me and she's like, it's so beautiful over there. I can't believe I was ever angry. It doesn't make any sense to me anymore. And that was almost one of the last things she said before she passed. And it was, it's really a sacred thing to be with somebody when they cross over. I believe it in what she said, you know, because that feeling that, that I had, it was, it was perfect. It was, it's not like, you know, euphoria or the most pleasant thing that you could feel on earth. It was something beyond that. Wow. And yeah, that, that makes sense that everything would, would disappear. Everything would be, would go away. Right. Mm -hmm. But it really then shines a light on why do we go through it here? 
right? And right. for many, many years, I've, I've thought about that, you know, about, you know, why I've had to go through everything I've had to go through. You know, the pain, the struggles, suffering, fear, all of that, anger even. And I, I know that, you know, I'm not, I'm not a perfect human being. Nobody is. And nor do I try to pretend to be, you know. I don't have all the answers. I'm still seeking my own, <laughs> just my own answers. But in asking the question, in struggling, and trying to find my own path and trying to live it authentically, if I can share some of what I learn with other people who might be struggling as well, I know that that's what I'm supposed to do. And I know what, that's why I was given a second chance. Do you think that you could ever feel that feeling on earth in your body? Do, do you think that there's a level of just peace and joy that you could figure out how to have as a human being? I think so. I think the closest that you can get to it and the closest, I mean, because there is nothing that compares to it, but the closest is when we feel the closest, you and I. Mm. I remember that, you know, we were in the middle of training for that hike and your feet had something wrong with them so you couldn't hike and, you know, you stayed back at camp. an infection in my foot. Yeah. Yeah. And you stayed back at camp and, you know, I went with our dog and went up to the top of this peak and it overlooked this lake and it was really beautiful and you know at the time it was even maybe questionable if you could have done the hike because your feet were pretty bad and I remember seeing that beautiful scene which you still haven't seen <laughs> we need to go back and see that and and I remember thinking because prior to that I was like oh I'll do the hike without you you know the John Muir Trail the 200 mile hike yeah and then I saw that scene and I immediately just wanted to share it. And I knew that I did not want to participate in seeing all this beauty without you being next to me. Like it would have, I would have rather not seen it than seen it and not had the experience with you that we wouldn't have shared that. I know that feeling. I mean, I think we've created a relationship with each other that we want to share everything of our experiences, you know, with each other. Yeah. And I know that there are people out there that want that. And there are people out there that don't have it and maybe don't think, doesn't think it exists, but I, I think it's what we're all striving for. Yeah. I, I think too, the, the opposite is also true that the greatest amount of pain you can be in is from your relationship as well. And I would agree. I would definitely agree with that. Yeah. And that is, that's pretty incredible too. You know, it's, it's both ends of it. And I think, you know, at least when I was single there, there's the loneliness and, and there's pain in that, but it's more like a dollar ache than, you know, the pain that I'm in with you when we disagree or we're fighting or, um, separated for some reason, that depth of pain, you know, and I think that we all have to face the fact that our relationship is going to end. 
at some point it mm-hmm. it will. Yeah. As with all relationships. You know, and we tell our couples all the time, right? All marriages will end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We just don't know how or when. Yeah. And so if that's the case and that's a, a guarantee, then there has to be something to it and the reason why you're in it. If you can have the greatest joy and you can have the greatest pain, why do it? Right. I think, again, if we go back to, you know, this bigger purpose and meaning, I don't think you can know yourself unless you can see yourself through someone else. And this is your closest reflection. Your primary relationship is going to show you not just the parts that you know about yourself, but the parts that are hidden that you don't know. Oh, absolutely. It, your, your partner is a, is a mirror. Yeah. You know, reflecting back to you everything. You know, the good, the bad, the ugly. And it's only through that reflection that we can truly know if we're being authentic with ourselves. You know, when you stand in the bathroom and look in the mirror... You know when you look in your eyes whether you are living authentically or not. And yeah. even more so through the reflection of the eyes of your partner. You know, I was just thinking about something that, you know, if, if we're out interacting with other people, and sometimes I later will be processing that and I'll think, oh, I shouldn't have said this, or maybe I offended someone, or you know, you you start to doubt yourself or you start to feel bad about something you did or said or whatever. And I don't ever feel that guessing with you. I I already know. I know for sure if I've hurt you and I know for sure if I haven't. Right. And I know for sure if you've forgiven me or not. And that, that nagging, doubting feeling of wondering what someone else might think about you or if you've hurt them, that that's a horrible feeling to me. And I find I find a lot of peace in that with you that I know that I don't have to guess. Well, I, I think that <laughs> that has come about, you know, with a lot of work yeah. <laughs> that we've done, yeah. you know, between each other. But yeah, how often do we come across clients who, you know, are just spinning up in their head, making these assumptions about what their partner thinks and what their partner is doing, and you know, all of their relationships. They're extended family relationships and and drama and you know and it's just tying them up in knots yeah and you know if you're in a relationship and you're doing hurtful things to your partner boy it would be kinder if you just let him go that's always really sad when someone especially is in the dark about their partner doing things that are you know not not respectful to them it's interesting. I'm I'm going to be 53 in a couple weeks, right? Oh, yeah, that's right. Birthday's coming up. And my mom was 58 when my dad died. Mm. She was only five years older than me, and my dad was 60. And I remember him wanting to die at home with his family around him. And the day that he died... My brother drove from Wyoming straight through. He walked in the house. He walked up the stairs. My dad had been in a coma for a couple days. And my dad opened his eyes as my brother walked in the room. And the rest of us were around there, right? Mm -hmm. And 
and then we were all surrounding him and and then he passed away and i know that you know we all were touching him and i don't know if you know this but is the last thing the last sense you have is it sound is it touch i think it's hearing i think that's what it's i've hearing. heard yeah mm -hmm. isn't that cool yeah and so you know if you're if you're around someone who is close to crossing over remember to continue to talk to them they can hear you that's really important you know i was i was really hesitant about talking about this you know publicly on on our podcast mm -hmm. because you know there are a lot of people who doubt that there is an afterlife yeah you know and you know a lot of people believe that once we're once we die we're done and you know there's there's always two questions that come up in my mind and the question is either this all means something or it means nothing at all yeah and i would rather believe that it means something i would rather believe and especially with the experience that i went through that every relationship that we get into, that every experience that we have is happening for some type of reason and some type of purpose. And we have an opportunity of whether we're going to learn from it or not. Right. And that's our choice. Yeah, I think that choice is, is the deal, right? That's what, that's what makes us humans. You know, animals don't choose, they react. And, and we, we can choose. And because we can choose, we can choose really horrible things or we can choose really awesome things. And it's a choice. And hopefully that's part of the meaning of being alive. I remember, I remember something my dad said when he was a couple days before he died. He said, there's a lot of people here crossing over with me. And I found that really interesting. And I looked up and it said that in the United States, every 12 seconds, someone dies. And in the world, two people die every second. That's a lot of people. Well, That's yeah. a real lot of people. And it seems like such a solo event, you know, birth and death. But even when you were in that space, you saw all these faces. Right. You know, so it's, that's a really interesting idea to me that maybe it's not all by yourself. I don't know. Yeah. And I, I know that one day I'll find out for sure, right? That one day I will, you know, face that feeling again and the choice will be to go into it. And I'm not afraid of that. I'm not afraid of that feeling because as I said, it was an amazing feeling, but you know, I, I want to make sure that if I, and when I choose to go into that feeling that I don't have any regrets and I don't have any resentments and I've lived my life the way that I'm supposed to. Yeah. I think the only regrets and resentments we can have is between people. Right, right. You know, whether you've hurt someone, whether you've let someone down, whether you have 
been mean to somebody. Yeah. You know, I think I was really fortunate because um, at our wedding, you know, my dad gave a speech and, and he said to me in front of everyone, <laughs> you know, if there's anything I've done to hurt you, I'm sorry. And if there's anything you did to hurt me, forget about it. And I think because of that, I have a lot of peace about his, his death, you know, cause I really feel like we made our amends and we resolved, we finished our business, you know, and it's the unfinished business that causes grief work. Grief, you know, is processing the pain of losing someone that you've loved, but grief work is when you didn't finish your business. And I think if you can live your life finishing those things up when they're there, I think that's really important and hard to do. It's very hard to do. Mm -hmm. And so we really want to thank you all for joining us on Couple Synergy today. This is a, a pretty deep topic. Yeah. And, you know, we as, as we said, I, I think it's a really important one because it affects us all. You know, I just wanted to take a minute to honor the people that we've been related to that have passed and just mention their names and, you know, encourage all of you to, to do the same, to say out loud the people in your life that have gone before you. My grandfather, Dinyar, and my grandmother, Soror. My uncle, Manning. My grandpa, Peter Zender. And my grandma Lucille Zender and Alice and Alfred Auntie, which are my other grandparents that died before I was born. And my Aunt Joni and my Uncle Guy and my dad, Henry Zender, and my niece, Morgan. She passed at 19. That was a tough one. That was really tough. And so we will hold all of these people in our thoughts. And, you know, if you're out there, go ahead and say your people out loud and, you know, just carry them in your heart today. And you can listen on Thursday for the episode of my mom talking about, you know, her experience of living life after her spouse died. So again, we want to thank you so much for joining us today and for listening to Couple Synergy. Please subscribe to our podcast and please leave a review. It, it really helps us kind of, you know, strategize and think about other topics that people might want to hear more about. And if you know someone who could benefit from this episode, please download it and share it. If you have any questions, comments, or again, topic suggestions, please email us at contact at couplesynergy.com. For more information about Couple Synergy and our programs such as Relationship 101, the Couples Weekend Intensive, and our premier program called Couple to Couple. Look us up online at couplesynergy.com. Until next time, synergize your life, synergize your love. You have been listening to Couple Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Couple Synergy was recorded, edited, and produced by Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Voiceover and music entitled Breathe and Let Go was recorded and composed by Gina Gonzalez. Mm-hmm.